Welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and is affected by our economy. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and this week I am joined by Arna Klug to discuss how SUVs are ruining the electric vehicle party and jeopardizing the future profitability of the auto industry. And then we have two hot takes. One on energy giant Drax's 10-year plan to become carbon negative, and then Exxon's victory in the case brought by the New York State's attorney that claimed it misled investors about the risks posed by climate change. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. Electric vehicles are supposed to be the norm in the future. Some predict they will be the only car available in 10 years. But it's not a smooth road to get to that point, and it depends largely on consumer preferences for the car rather than the ambition of automakers alone. To spur the transition in the European Union, regulators there have set ambitious carbon emission standards for automaker fleets that are set to take effect in 2021. Arna Klug, our lead analyst for the auto sector, tackled this issue in a two-part report available on ESG Manager this week called Automobile Insights, The Bumpy Road Ahead. Here at MSCI ESG Research, we both rank companies based on their exposure to environmental, social, and governance risks and assess how the industry as a whole is addressing those same ESG risks. And in this report, Arna and colleague Jakub Malich found all automakers would face significant emission fines at their current clip. Finding that companies like BMW, Kia, Toyota, Nissan face less pressure to increase their zero emission vehicles sold, while Mazda, Fiat Chrysler, and Honda are under significant pressure. But one reason all these companies are under pressure and are set to hit fines is that their sales of SUVs are growing around 30 times more than their electric vehicles or zero emission vehicle sales, which is not the norm in Europe. So Arna, thanks for joining me. Could you give me a picture of the changing landscape of the auto market? Is is Europe really getting on the SUV bandwagon? Yeah, that's correct. Actually, it changed a lot, especially in the yeah, recent years. So if you just look at some, some numbers, some shares, right, like um, only six years ago, like SUVs made up like around 18% of global car sales in the European Union. Now it's 35%, right? So it's a quite huge, um, actually, increase, right, of sales um, compared to the last years. And I mean, US is still like, like leading, right? Still, um, SUVs are highly demanded vehicle class, but now also in Europe, you see the same trend, right, um, as in the U.S. So why is this happening? Because it used to be that America was mocked for the size of our cars, and Europe was seen as this sensible car-owning bastion, that they got cars that could fit through their small streets and transported humans rather than an SUV that could, I don't know, take a small city by force. The reasons might be a bit um, related to the maybe to the minds of the consumers, but also related to the quite heavy and aggressive advertising campaigns, right? If you watch a yeah, car vehicle ad on TV, it's mostly an SUV or now also electric car, but still it's like a quietly, quite highly promoted vehicle segment by, by the car makers. And because SUVs are like a high profit, or actually bring high profit margins compared to small size vehicles. And there's also some tendency that actually consumers in times of uncertainty, instability, the world is getting um, more and more 
more dangerous and so on that people might feel more comfortable <laughs> in a big like almost a tank like a car right <laughs> okay so take me through these targets are they the same for every automaker or, or is it different is there some sort of aggregate yeah exactly so actually each car maker has an individual emission target in the European Union uh, that has to be reached by 2021. So the average target would be 95 grams per kilometer, but there are individual targets based on several factors, also the average weight, uh, amongst others, on the vehicle volume. And I mean, if you look at the current um, actually emission, uh, fleet emissions, average fleet emissions in the year 2018 and, and the yeah, projected individual target, there's a huge gap for, for car makers. So what we did, we basically calculated to what extent the car makers have to drive up, increase the electric vehicle sales, which, which have a positive impact on the overall emissions. And we found some major gaps, right, between what the car makers need to sell and what they're currently selling. I want to read some numbers from your report because they're kind of troubling. They are the needed percent of increase in the share of electric vehicles sold by automakers if they hope to meet EU's emission regulations by 2021. You have them broken out by auto manufacturer, as you noted, that needs to be done. But for ease, I'll just say the average. It's, it's 14%. There needs to be a 14% increase in sold electric vehicles. And to put that into perspective, there were around 15 million new cars registered in the EU last year. So 14% of that is like 2, 2 million. And some car makers have serious gaps to fill. Take Fiat Chrysler. They need to increase their margin by 19%. Honda, 15%. Volkswagen, 15%. And it's not like you can force people to purchase the car you want them to purchase unless you make it an offer they cannot refuse, to coin a phrase. So what happens if these companies miss these targets? So what happens if the automakers begin to miss these targets in 2021? If they don't really meet those targets, they have to pay emission fines, and the fines can be really significant. I mean, if you just read the, the, the basic starting point, it doesn't sound so much. So actually, basically, they have to pay 95 euros per grams of CO2 emissions above the target, um, but it's per car, right? So per car sold in the European Union, so not per car which has emissions which are higher than the target, but emissions actually for the overall fleet. So if you sell one million vehicles and they actually surpass the target by, by one or two grams, it can really become an expensive fine or high fine for, for most car makers. Do you know, do you have an idea of what in aggregate those fines might be like? For, for some companies, we actually projected that potential emission fines for companies would have to pay. And I mean, it differs a lot between the companies, companies like, like Toyota, for instance, right, or even Daimler Nissan, they put relatively low um, potential emission fines in absolute numbers, but also in terms of their EBITDA. Um, but companies like, for example, um, Peugeot, Mazda, Fiat Chrysler, um, they would really high fines. A company like Volkswagen, they could actually face fines of more than 9 billion um, euro dollars, uh, euros um, actually by 2021. So fines could really affect the profit margins. So it seems like these automakers are involved in these two pulling forces, looming regulations and the demands of consumerism. I know you were telling me earlier before the call, the auto industry's profit margins are really thin. And SUVs are one of their largest revenue and growth drivers. So if they stop selling those SUVs, they will get into financial trouble. But at the same time, SUVs are obviously more pollutive. And they're putting a lot of, the automakers are putting a lot of money 
into R&D on electrification of their fleets. So how do they square this? By your analysis, the auto industry is one of the highest R&D spenders compared to other industries, but they make all their money from pollutive cars like SUVs. So this seems like an existential woe to me. How, how do you see this industry going forward? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one road or one uh, potential um, escape road in a way would be right to further electrify the SUV fleet and to, to basically launch more and more electric um, or pickup models. Uh, but it's difficult, right? So what, also, what we also saw that companies, for example, like Fiat, um, Chrysler, they actually tried to explore new paths and they um, planned to open a pool with, with Tesla, right, the pure electric vehicle producer. So basically that the emissions of Fiat Chrysler could be offset by uh, Tesla zero average fleet emissions. So they actually would have a pool of a joint emissions pool. And so that's a way that actually Fiat Chrysler could avoid paying fines. They would pay money to Tesla, but not to the regulator. And the money would be lower then. Nice. A stable company like Tesla to come save us from tailpipe emissions. But point taken, perhaps the future is these auto industry players that are huge, partner with small, more agile, techie companies that can save them from themselves. Uh, but my read is that people got to be saved from themselves. They got to chill or uh, assume that an SUV isn't going to save them from the evils. Uh, they're going to get you anyway. So keeping with emissions, The Guardian has given Drax, once a coal-fired behemoth located in the UK, a nice headline this Monday by promoting the company's plans to be the world's first carbon-negative business. Drax was once labeled Western Europe's top polluter, and it's set an ambitious decarbonization target over 10 years. So I decided to grab my colleague, Valina Karoja, who covers Drax, to put some spice onto its ambitions and its ambitious 10-year plan. I think it's, uh, it all sounds uh, very well and very ambitious, but uh, having said that, uh, I think there is still a lot of work to be done until uh, drugs really get there. Uh, what I mean is, uh, well, the, uh, the plan depends heavily on uh, investment um, in carbon capture and storage, or CCS um, in short, and the technology is still very expensive. Um, and uh, also depends on government subsidies. Uh, so drugs has been looking into that for, for a while now, but um, the project is still at a very small pilot phase, and they, crucially the government subsidies um, for taking that larger scale are not yet approved. And what's interesting, though, is that they felt the need to say this still. Is there just a, a broader pressure in the world for these companies to be showing that they're trying to do something? Well, yes, of course. Uh, with climate change literally exploding this year, and with drugs, as you said, being one of the largest polluters in Europe um, back in the day, obviously there is a lot of pressure, especially in Europe, where a lot of drugs peers have done a lot of work in the past few years. To, to decarbonize, uh, drugs being what it is, uh, operating just a single asset in the UK. Um, they haven't diversified in uh, new assets. Uh, they just uh, invest in making the, um, the plant in the UK cleaner and cleaner. So they have uh, converted a lot of that into biomass. 
but uh, that still has some um, emissions, carbon emissions associated with the process. So for them to become really carbon neutral, um, other than closing the asset and completely investing in renewables, the other option is uh, investing in carbon capture and storage. Thanks so much for joining me, Valina. Thank you, Mike. Speak later. And now it's time for me to eat crow. Well, kind of, because a couple weeks ago, we talked about Exxon being sued by the New York Attorney General's office for misleading investors on how it calculated its climate risks. And I thought it was a pretty big deal, but it turns out the judge of the case disagreed and Exxon has been cleared of all charges. It didn't mislead investors. So Rick is here to give me the one-two on what the verdict means for investors going forward. Rick, school me on my misconception. Hey, no misconception at all. I think we called it exactly. We said, I, I think I said, this was an effort to bring a securities case against Exxon in order to get at the, you know, their climate um, change uh, behavior. I think the most interesting thing that I've seen about the decision um, comes from the judge in the case who, who said, and I quote, nothing in this opinion is intended to absolve ExxonMobil from responsibility for contributing to climate change through the emission of greenhouse gases in the production of its fossil fuel products. Boom. It's, it's a wide open field. This wasn't about climate change. This was a securities case, just as we discussed before. New York lost the case. Massachusetts still has a similar case pending. So even even there, this is still um, in action. But this was never, from a legal perspective, uh, about climate change or Exxon's behavior in that context. That still has to be um, potentially determined in some other venue. They They won the case. Uh, that's great. You know, I don't disagree either with with what um, Exxon's counsel said that that these kinds of cases are costly. Does this galvanize investors to say to their companies, "Look, you better have a plan because these litigations are not ending, and you need to start disclosing better." I don't know that it galvanizes investors, but I don't think that it appeases investors. I don't think that it that it 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 makes uh, investors feel like, "Oh, we lost. We, we better shut up." I don't think that's the case at all. And that's it for the week. I want to thank Arna and Valina and Rick for joining me to discuss this week's news with an ESG twist. I want to thank you so much, as always, for listening. And if you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review us. I am always trying to grow. Growth is the goal. Talk to you next week. Have a good one. MSCI ESG Research podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. 
and this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or produ product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.